Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson Media that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'll be joined by Derek Healy and Rachel Amory to examine and explain the last week in Scottish politics. But first, a summary of the week's biggest national and international politics stories, compiled and read for us by Alex Watson. Scotland is braced for a severe new wave of COVID infections, with the new Omicron variant running riot through the population, Nicola Sturgeon warns. The First Minister is weighing up more restrictions in face of a new wave. However, she is already urging Scots to defer any Christmas party plans. Work on the controversial Campbell oil field off the coast of Shetland is being paused, the company behind the project has said. It follows a decision last week by Shell to pull out of the proposed development. Sikar Point Energy's chief executive Jonathan Roger said his company will now evaluate next steps. Julian Assange's lawyers intend to take his case to the Supreme Court after the High Court allowed the WikiLeaks founder's extradition to the US. Assange is wanted in America over an alleged conspiracy to obtain and disclose national defence information, following publication of hundreds of thousands of leaked documents relating to the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. Thanks, Alex. Let's turn our attention now to what's been happening closer to home. It's been another week of damaging headlines for our beleaguered Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Um, I'm sure we'll get to the, the perennial or weekly question, will any of this stick? But first, let's just recap a little bit, um, because there's quite a lot to get through. Everyone's been thinking about their Christmas parties and and what might happen to them this year. But of course, last year, behind closed doors, all kinds of stuff was going on while members of the public all over the UK were cancelling their plans, staying indoors, um, not seeing their loved ones, and, and a lot more between. Just to bring us a bit up to speed, it would seem that round about last year, there were A party took place in Downing Street with about, let's say, 40 people, perhaps, depending on reports according to different sources. Um, 18th of December, it was organised on WhatsApp, and um, it's it's alleged that people were were doing secret Santa presents. This is, by any stretch of the imagination, a party, as most people would understand it, but not not if you're in the Conservative Party in Westminster. It goes on from there. There were allegations all through the week about more parties. There were accusations happening at the same point as the Prime Minister was saying that there were no parties. Then it gets worse because Allegra Stratton, who was caught on camera laughing about, laughing about the whole situation at the time, in a briefing room which was set up and never used um, in a strange circular way of, 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 of turning the guns on themselves. Um, she She's had to walk uh, tearfully. Boris Johnson perhaps thinking that this was the, um, the, the the sacrifice that was required to keep going, but it just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, and I wonder uh, if we could just sort of go into a little bit about what this means, because Rachel, the, there was a lot more going on in Parliament and a lot more allegations come out as the week went on. But we're always asking: Does this actually cut through to anyone else in the, in the in the public? Is it going to actually make a blind bit of difference to the fact that the prime minister just seems to think he can carry on regardless? Are the backbenchers behind him more dangerous than the opposition in front? What what do you think happens next? Yeah, I mean the backlash has understandably been absolutely furious, um, particularly because Boris Johnson is standing firm with all of this. Um, he's 
continually saying that no rules were broken, even though it sounds like a lot of rules were in fact broken. Um, and yeah, he was put through the ringer at um, Prime Minister's questions. Um, there was anger across the chamber. And like you said, it's not just the opposition benches. His own backbenchers were angry. Um, the Scottish Conservatives were angry. I mean, Douglas Ross and Ruth Davidson, they both very publicly tried to put a bit of distance between themselves and number 10 over this because they are not happy at all. Um, lots of calls for him to resign over this. Um, of course, Ian Blackford, the SNP's Westminster leader, he he was calling for his resignation. But then again, he's he is calling for that every other week at the moment. So perhaps his calls for Prime Minister's resignation are not quite having the impact that he hopes anymore. But yeah, it does seem to be that Boris Johnson is going to weather this storm. I don't think he has any intention of resigning. We've seen so many scandals in the past few weeks alone, which would have toppled other prime ministers in the past. I mean, we've even before the coronavirus pandemic, we've got the proroguing of parliament. And then during the pandemic, there's been mishandling of the lockdown, particularly in the early days, um, trying to change self-isolation rules when he was pinged by track and trace, not wearing face masks when he visited hospitals, giving contracts to his friends, the Owen Patterson scandal, the Cash for Honours scandal, and let's not forget the Dominic Cummings and Bernard Castle scandal. So he has stood through all of it. Nothing seems to be budging him. And it feels like one of these things where perhaps there'll be another scandal next week and we'll have moved on from this scandal already. So yeah, it's it's yeah, he seems to be standing firm against all of this. Well, it's not, it's not even just this, though, is there? there? There were, on a rapid few days of of problems, all enough to topple a prime minister in, in kind of normal circumstances, you'd imagine, that there was, wasn't just the parties. There was also fines. There was um, allegations about his uh, flat refurbishment, which culminated in, um, in, in another development this week. I mean, there are contradictory statements. Um, you know, he's been accused of lying constantly. What I mean, it, it's not just the parties. Um, so are we in a s situation now, though, where, like we're just saying, it? I mean, is it his own party that is going to be the force that um, he has to reckon with now? I mean, I know that Scottish politicians and the Conservatives are trying desperately to put a bit of clear blue water between them and the Prime Minister. So how's that been unfolding? Yeah, the Scottish Conservatives are are very publicly angry about this. And yeah, that you can tell just in the atmosphere amongst the Scottish Conservatives, it's not good um, because it doesn't make them look good, does it? Um, and even like Liz Smith this morning was um, saying this morning that she's very angry about it and um, it's, it's kind of not to do with us sort of thing. Um, so yeah, people in his own benches are angry about this and the public are angry as well. I think the public wanted to see a bit more action here from Boris Johnson, something that really shook things up and sort of set an example, something that sort of matched the outrage that people feel for this. Um, I mean, I know we know that we said that um, one person that has fallen is Allegra Stratton. She handed in her resignation after PMQs um, and... I'm not entirely sure how much her resignation is going to satisfy people. I mean, yes, people, I think the general consensus is that she had to go. But her resignation hasn't really calmed the anger amongst his own benches and amongst the public because, I mean, up until this week, most people had never really heard of Allegra Stratton. No. So is is her resignation really going to make much of a difference here? If anything, it's inflamed inflamed the reaction, if anything else, surely. Especially when you get to things like Keir Starmer um, referencing photographs of the Queen sitting on her own um, in mourning. I mean, if, if there's ever an image which is going to get to um, 
a kind of mild-mannered conservative who just wants things to be done correctly, then that's it, surely. Yeah, I mean, we all saw that image and uh, it did obviously tug at a lot of people's heartstrings because it was just, regardless of what you think of the monarchy, it was just very sad to see her sitting there on her own when she should have had a full a full cathedral full of people at his funeral. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And R- Ruth Davidson is still a bit of a bellwether for um, mainstream Scottish conservative uh, liberal attitude. I mean, she was she was pretty furious when she was on social media the other day as well, calling it none of it remotely defensible. Um, you know, suggesting that the public are be taken for fools. I mean, is that going to is this just a, a, a shout in the dark, or is it something that's going to build? Obviously, she's no longer in Hollywood, but she is still very much in people's minds and thoughts, like he said. So, it, it hopefully will, but I just I just don't think it will. I mean, there's just so many things at the moment going around and being shouted and being put to the prime minister, and none of it is budging him here at all. <laughs> Derek, what are you? What are you? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, what happens next? Um, we've heard the anger which we hear every week about one subject or another, whether it's COVID, whether it's the parties, whether it's um, policy, whether it's tax, welfare, any any number of things. Um, what what happens next, do you think? It, it, we didn't hear much from Keir Starmer. He didn't, he, he still isn't really pulling the, pulling the trigger on the, the sort of um, resign mm. comments that everyone else is doing. Does it even, has that word lost all meaning now anyway? I mean, people calling for folk to resign over literally everything and it never seems to happen. So it loses a bit of traction, perhaps. Yeah, it's interesting. We've spoken on this podcast a lot about sort of accountability in politics and whether that's gone really, you know, whether that you know, really exists when people can get away with things and um, you know, apologise and carry on or even sometimes not apologise and carry on. Um, Ian Blackford obviously called before this latest revelation came out about this Christmas party um, for Boris Johnson to resign to go uh, and then called for him again to go when this all happened. Um, so I think that does kind of weaken the stance. Um, but it's interesting, kind of timing-wise, I mean, obviously Allegra Stratton has gone, but she didn't, as far as we know, didn't attend that party. Um, she certainly didn't give it the, the go-ahead. Um, and I think people don't think that there's been proper accountability yet because um, a lot of people are very angry um, in terms of the cut-through. I mean, obviously... People always ask what the scandal is or cut through with the public. Do, do they really care or is this just a Westminster or a Hollywood bubble story? We saw the night that story came out, it being talked about on uh, on I'm a Celebrity Getting Out of, Get Me Out of Here and Deck talking about it. I mean, right away, there are sort of cut through. Um, but I think some of, some of the kind of anger we've seen in ter- inside the party, and particularly from the Scottish, uh, the Scottish Conservatives, we've got council elections coming up in May. Mm-hmm. You know, Boris Johnson's got a huge majority at Westminster. So for him, you know, he can shield himself from, from an awful lot of these yeah. scandals and, and problems by just saying, I'm just going to carry on anyway. But the reality is for Scottish Conservatives, they're going to have to go out on the doorstep in May and speak to punters mm-hmm. who may well be furious at this whole situation and be still demanding answers in, especially if we head into any kind of further restrictions in the next couple of months. It's interesting you mentioned the council elections and people having to go at the doorsteps with some unpalatable national headlines behind them. We'll, we'll get on to that shortly because the SNP are also going to be on the doorsteps um, in a council election where local authorities might be having some pretty tough decisions locally as well. So there's, there's problems being stored up left, right and centre. We'll come on to that in a minute. But also, Derek, you were also looking at um, some 
further afield from from Holyrood to Westminster and off to New York City as well um, in the past week. There's been we this country's had a lot of problems with um, a drugs death crisis, um, but something that all all levels of public health and government are trying to to get to grips with. But we seem to be at a bit of a sticking point. Um, we could maybe go into this a bit in, the, in, in a budget discussion about funding for these services, but we're also casting the net a little wider and seeing how other countries are dealing with these big issues. Uh, what, what have you been learning from your chats with um, people on the other side of the pond? Yeah, so we've been looking at the US and in particular New York. Um, so New York City has just opened the first two kind of publicly recognised uh, what they're calling overdose prevention centres. Um, in Scotland, we would probably call them drug consumption rooms, basically. Um, now, these have been kind of operating you know, below the radar and operating in all sorts of ways and, and different places, but these are the first to be kind of officially sanctioned. And I think in New York, they've had a lot of the same kind of problems that we have had here. It mirrors the kind of problems in a lot of ways. I mean, they, they've had their own drug death crisis in New York. They've had the worst drug deaths on record, um, which is obviously something we've experienced here in Scotland as well, uh, and particularly locally. Um, they've responded to that by really pushing forward and opening these centres. But in America, they've got federal drug laws which say that you know people can't you know have it on their possession. They can't sell it to people. Um, and you know, these these drug consumption rooms or overdose prevention centres would, under federal law, appear to be illegal. Um, they have been able to work their way around that uh, in different ways, basically by trying to look at them as kind of medical treatment centres, um, so, so recognise them slightly differently from how they may have been previously, and basically saying we're just going to push on with it and kind of challenge, you know, at a federal level, if they want to try and challenge us on this, then they can. Um, so far... They're expecting that the US Justice Department isn't going to take any action. Um, the police in New York have said, you know, we're going to basically turn a blind eye to it for now uh, until until future notice. Um, and that is what a lot of people would like to see the Scottish government do, you know, to push on with this and kind of try and, you know, obviously drug laws are uh, handled by Westminster. They've, they've, they've got possession over that. Um, they have signalled that they wouldn't like to see any change in the law that might allow these drug consumption rooms to open in Scotland. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people would like to see the Scottish government push ahead with it and say, well, you know, challenges in court then, if that needs to be the case. You were speaking to uh, an interesting sounding um, state senator, Gustavo Rivera. Um, what, what, was, what kind of message was he suggesting that we could adopt here without speaking directly to, to MSPs? Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so for him, um, I mean, he is basically, uh, he, so he is the chair of the New York State Senate Health Committee and has been campaigning for these rooms to open for a long time. He represents the south and central area of the Bronx where they've had terrible drug death problems as well and a lot of the same kind of things we see in some of, you know, cities like Dundee, cities like Glasgow where it's a real problem. Um, basically, he's, he said that, you know, he's expecting to get lawsuits, lots of lawsuits, mm -hmm. uh, but they've done it anyway. Um, and his kind of message, I mean, he, he, he obviously, I think, acknowledged himself that he doesn't know the kind of inner workings of the Scottish political system or legal system. Um, but his kind of general message to to people in Scotland was, um, and to politicians in Scotland, do whatever it takes to save lives. Um, he says, you know, people cannot get better if they are dead. And for him, he said, you know, the evidence is absolutely clear that these centres save lives. And, and so they should be opened. That was his, that was his position. Yeah, it was it was fascinating stuff, and and your work, including uh, earlier pieces on that about 
the difference in the rules between New York and, and the US and Scotland are all available uh, on our websites across the DC Thompson titles, Press and Journal and Courier. Drugs rehabilitation and um, the funding for services was was a key key element in earlier budgets, but it was um, it didn't feature at all really in the in the wider headlines of of yesterday's um, Scottish budget chat. Um, Kate Forbes, the finance secretary, was um, up in Parliament delivering a statement in the afternoon. It seemed a little low key. Maybe that's just because there was such a storm of politics going on all over the place outside Parliament um, from 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 Westminster, really. But um, Rachel, can you maybe just talk us through what some of the the key points were from the, from the budget and how they might affect people um, in in the year ahead? I know normally when it's budget week, that's the the main headline, isn't it? And it yeah. just has been overshadowed a little bit this week. Um, I think the main thing is that local authorities in Scotland are going to be given what's what they're calling full flexibility to raise council tax, um, which has uh, the opposition parties and the, the conservative benches, they're, they're very angry about that. Um, other things as well, I mean, higher earners are going to pay more in income tax. Businesses are going to continue to get rates relief. Um, Eighteen billion pounds is going to be spent on health and social care, and adult social care sorry adult social care staff are going to get a ten pound fifty minimum wage increase. Um, the labour labour party were saying that that wasn't enough, um, but that's what's um, going to be agreed, and this is all to um, to recover from the pre pandemic levels basically. It's a short statement, and there's not an enormous amount of time for for politicians to to probe. Um, before it gets back to Parliament for a fuller, you know, a, a much wider debate. But does any of it um, is any of it going to make much difference when we're looking at just th- the astonishing amount of money that has to be ploughed into everything after all this time of um, restrictions, lockdown, pandemic, things like that? I mean, we're talking um, on the basically right up against when the first minister is about to to do a, another update to the nation on potentially more restrictions and we don't obviously know at this stage how that's going to pan out however we do know um, that there's been many many signals already sent out and not all of them very welcome in the way they've been done or or what the message might be Um, the night before this uh, was recorded we we heard from Public Health Scotland for example who were effectively telling the public um, to think about cancelling Christmas parties now Derek, does that what does that say to you about the way that this is being managed and um, what might be stored up for the fairly perilous um, financial state that a lot of the the economy, particularly in hospitality, have to look forward to over Christmas and into the new year? Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's not a brilliant way to manage things, is it? Really, to have a situation where you know later into the evening you've got Public Health Scotland coming out and telling people to cancel Christmas parties. Um, where you've got a statement being made by the First Minister um, and, and a briefing as opposed to in Parliament, which is uh, what the preference definitely is of the Parliament, what the preference has been of MSPs. Um, as you say, we obviously don't know what's going to come today. Um, but for example, if there was to be any kind of imposition on hospitality, for example, um, that would be something that you would think would be much better discussed with hospitality, discussed with MSPs who represent, you know, hospitality owners, hospitality businesses. Um, 
instead of that, you know, we've got Public Health Scotland coming out with a statement late at night saying cancel your Christmas parties. We've got this um, briefing today. Um, I think it'll be a real worry and at least we've not a lot of time to make kind of decisions. I mean, we've, we've no idea. I mean, right now, going into Friday morning, uh, I think some businesses will have no idea if they are, the way they're going to have to trade on Saturday night is going to be massively affected. Um, there were people with Christmas parties booked this Saturday who are going to have to rethink that and think, well, okay, well, the advice is now not to do it. Um, so businesses who have who have brought staff on, who have bought in goods to sell, and uh, they've, they've now got a really tough time again um, to know what exactly is going to be expected of them. I mean, you also mentioned earlier uh, when it comes to tough decisions, whether it's from COVID and back to the budget, there's no national general election on the horizon anytime soon so that we know of so far but there are council elections do you think this is going to have um, a bit more of an impact on the SNP as much as the Conservatives both trying to deal with things when it comes to actual decisions being made on the ground and the potential for local authorities um, now looking at putting council tax up quite a lot you'd expect would any of them dare to go for broke knowing that there's an election on the horizon um uh, do you think, or is that something that they might actually be tempted to hold off? I think it's difficult. I mean, you know, part part of the trouble that the Scottish government faces in terms of the you know the Christmas discussion, in terms of the briefing today and things like that, is that they are limited in what they can do because they need the funding to be passed on for Westminster. So it really limits their options and the choices they, that they have, and that in some ways is mirrored in this kind of the council tax discussion. Um, what has happened with the council tax? You know, this is pretty much exactly what the SNP accused Westminster of doing, passing on cuts to politicians at a local level. Um, you know, Kate Forbes denied this morning that this move, which looks like it will absolutely lead to an increase in council tax, as an admission that the block grant being given to local authorities by the Scottish government isn't enough. Um, we know there's going to be no cap and rises, so we don't really know how much they could go up. Um, I've seen reporting this morning suggesting that it could be the largest increase um, in a generation. I don't know how true that is. Um, Kate Forbes has suggested that because this change is going to take effect in April, and as you say, because we have those local authority elections in May, that councils are going to, um, I think the quote was, do the right thing by their local populations. Um, so they're going to be sort of stopped and ring fence from going you know as high as they may have gone because they're going to have to face an electorate a month later mm-hmm. but the reality is you know council budgets have been stretched thinner and thinner every year and many local authorities are going to have no choice but to increase the council tax um, there was a cash offer last year for councils to avoid them having to do that um, but there's no offer on the table this year at all so that means it's either increase the council tax or see cuts to services, you know, things like schools or housing. Um, I obviously, as a Dundee reporter previously, spent a lot of time covering council budgets with Dundee City Council. Um, so I've seen, you know, I'm well aware of some of the kind of tough choices that have had to be made in the past on that. Dundee City Council leader John Alexander told me last night that, you know, in his world he's always optimistic about things, but he is concerned about the impact on local services going forward. Um, and I think that's a concern that will be replicated in local authorities right across Scotland this morning. What exactly is this going to mean in terms of delivering those local services that people rely on? Yeah, there's some tough choices to be had. And if you if you look back to 2007, um, I, I remember uh, reporting on the SNP from opposition, promising that if they got into, into government, 
they would scrap the unfair council tax. Um, I mean, this was a, a massive election um, statement and it really resonated. Um, all kinds of politicians of every stripe have, have, have attempted to deal with the, the problems presented by a property tax. Um, I mean, we can go back further and get into the poll tax if we wanted to, but this is this is something that's been a constant thread throughout the SNP's um, time in administration at the Scottish Parliament. They found out quite quickly that their plan to scrap the unfair council tax was perhaps not as easy as, as they'd hoped or said, and um, their localised version just got shelved. Then it got frozen temporarily, but for a very, very long time. Um, and now we're... We, how, how has it gone really from being scrapping the unfair council tax to almost presenting it as like giving councils the power to deal with their own finances, like they've spun it round entirely back on itself to being a nice bit of local accountability. Rachel, did you, I mean, would you have expected to still be thinking about council tax rises given what the SNP said in 2007? Why is this such a tough nut to crack? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kate Forbes has very much been trying to put a positive spin on it, saying this is going to be really good for councils because it will give them more flexibility and more ability to to to, be, to take power locally as well. But um, like, like you said, this is something that um, does go against what previous SNP governments have promised, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's been commission after commission, and they did they they, they brought in um, changes to the way that the the bans were done to try and smooth it out a little bit and make um, you know uh, higher bans pay a lot more but um you know you can't get around the fact that it's still a council tax and it's it's still there they've tweaked it but it's you know far from abolished i'm kind of tempted to to focus on council tax more but there's just no getting around the fact that if we get to our stoosh of the week you, we really have to go back right to the start where we where we where we kicked off boris johnson um and his unbelievable fronting up against all the allegations that are conspiring to get to him means that we are going to have to sort of draw things to a close by getting right back to our our old friend Boris Johnson and delivering him the stoosh of the week. Stoosh of the week. There we go. Anyway, that's that's it for this week. Um, thanks to Derek Healy and Rachel Amory and producer Morvin McIntyre. Of course, you as well for listening. We'll be back next week with more. But until then, and even after then, pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all our news brands, so that you can be better briefed. Cheerio! The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson Media, bringing together political journalists and commentators from all over the country so that you can be better briefed. Teams at The Courier, The Press and Journal, The Evening Telegraph, Evening Express and The Sunday Post work hard day and night, online, in print and beyond, to bring you careful reporting and analysis designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, in Westminster and in our communities. So you don't miss an episode, follow The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know folk like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune into the Stushy or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook.
You can get a free month of unlimited access to The Courier or The Press and Journal too. Just go to thecourier.co.uk slash subscribe or pressandjournal.co.uk slash subscribe or follow the links in the episode notes to be better briefed. Check the episode notes for details and terms.